wonderful to be together in the presence of God. I want to give um, a welcome in particular to anyone who's here for the very first time, or maybe even for the last week or two. Uh, maybe uh, online, you've, you've, uh, you've dialed in for the very first time, or at our St. John's campus, or our Alma campus, or Mount Pleasant campus. Really want to give you a huge warm welcome. And I wanted to kind of start off today, because we're at the midpoint of a series. And if you're kind of stepping in, I wanted to give like just a, a mini little kind of summary of where we've been, because I'd love to onboard you quite easily. And then we're going to dive in to see what the Lord is doing uh, today through His Word. Uh, we've really been looking at the simple fact that Jesus has been getting up in the morning and uh, stirring the pot. That's what He's been doing. He has been changing the script in a way that has kind of been so um, impacting for me as I've been reading God's Word and studying. Uh, never before uh, in my years of following Jesus have I ever had as much of uh, an understanding and appreciation that Jesus, like, he ticked people off. And then he got up the next day and he did it again. And really, as a rabbi, he was doing things and behaving in ways and spending time with people and talking in ways that most people were like, Rabbis don't do that. That's not the way you're supposed to act or speak or treat people or be around people. Like that's, you're kind of blowing our expectations here. So what we find is Jesus is like coming and changing the rules and changing the script that he is being, and I think the word is, he's being subversive. So he's being countercultural. He is going against the grain in a way that people either just like, I don't know what to make of that, or like, you shouldn't be doing that, and I'm upset with you, and I'm angry with you. He is certainly creating tension. He's questioning that the way, the way things are. He's questioning the status quo, and he's intolerant of it. He is reinterpreting the way things have always been understood and, and what they mean to people. And not only like that, but like they're very comfortable with the way that things have been interpreted for centuries. Like this is our tradition. This is our heritage. This is the way things are supposed to be. He's discarding the way that things are supposed to be. And he's refusing to just let things be. He's making people uncomfortable at best. He's making people upset and angry. And he doesn't seem to really be bothered that people are getting angry with him because the next day he gets up and he just does it again. He's introducing something new, something radically different, and he's inviting people into a drastically different grasp of not only who God is, but what God is doing at this time. Here comes the kingdom of God. And so just by way of mini summary, here's just some quick statements of some of the pieces that we've looked at. John the Baptist was week number one. And he's coming onto the scene. He's like, everybody, you need to get ready. Like somebody is coming and they are going to break in on your life. John the baptizer was doing something pretty controversial himself in that he was baptizing Jewish people, which honestly was a ritual that Gentiles would do to become Jewish. So Jewish people would never be baptized. They would never do such a thing calling Jewish people to repent. And Jewish people are like, we don't need to repent. We're Jewish. We are the sons and daughters of Father Abraham. So we're good. Everything's fine with us. And John the baptizer was like, nope, I'm bringing you a message of repentance and the, that the kingdom of God is coming. And they didn't like that. Jesus, we see him in the desert on another occasion. And he says, no, I'm telling you right now, to what you would say yes to, to what I would say yes to. 
He says no to an offer of power and wealth and influence. The kind of stuff that pretty much any day of the week we'd go, I'll take some of that, please. I'll take money. I'll take influence. I'll take power. Give it to me. And what he's showing and what he's modeling for us is a kind of leadership in the kingdom of God that is unlike any other kingdom. Any other kingdom on the earth, what you've got is you've got your kings, you've got these people who are in authority, and everybody else are peasants and pawns. And those kings, man, they live the life. And Jesus is coming on the scene, and he's saying no to what we would say yes to. And here's what he's doing that is unbelievable. He's the only king that I know who doesn't treat us as peasants and pawns. In fact, he goes so far, he's the king who will die for those in his kingdom. No other king will do that. It's radical stuff. Over the next few weeks, we're going to see the introduction of a new covenant, of a new commandment, and a new movement, which guess what? That's us. I'm telling you, what Jesus is doing is radical stuff. Two weeks ago, I think, we see Jesus saying, you know, you have heard it said, quoting Old Testament law, quoting Moses. Moses, we love Moses. Moses is the man. Like Moses is, and we just hold on. We know everything that Moses has said. And Jesus comes and he brings this different interpretation. You have heard it said. And he'd quote the law. And everyone's like, yeah, that's great. And he's like, yeah, but I got something else to say. Here's what I would say unto you. We looked last week at this idea of people who are loving their religion more than they love people. Weaponizing their religion. Jesus comes on the scene. He's like, I'm not okay with that. I'm going to turn that around for you. You think you're supposed to be slaves to the Sabbath? No. The Sabbath was made for you. It's to bless you. It's for you to enjoy. It's a gift from God. You think the temple is the epicenter of everything? There'll come a day where it will all be gone. And you need to know that I'm actually greater than this building that you idolize. The presence of God is going mobile. Church, I hope you're beginning to pick up on actually how scandalous the ministry of Jesus was. Picking up on why, for so many people, he was certainly very interesting, he was very intriguing, why people were drawn to him, and this is not an exaggeration, why people wanted to kill him. Kill him. Today, we're going to see him enter into a conversation with a particular person who represents pretty much everything that Jesus came to usurp. Everything that Jesus came to challenge, all the rules, all the regulations, all the pompous religion that seemed to hold such disdain for anyone who didn't have their act together, for anyone who was broken, anyone who needed healing, anyone who was sick or anyone who was a sinner, for children, for anyone who wasn't a Jewish person, for a Gentile or a Samaritan or a Roman or a Greek, any one of those people, they're just outside of the club. The gentleman that he's having a conversation with is a fellow by the name of Nicodemus. Not just anybody. He is known as Israel's teacher. He is an expert in the Old Testament law. He would be, honestly, if he walked into the room, I think people would kind of take a step back. Oh, it's Nicodemus. He is respected and a little bit revered. If there's a banquet, Nicodemus is getting the seat of honor, which is a big deal. It's an honor to be in his company. He is a teacher of the law. Not only that, but he is also what's known as a Pharisee. 
Not only is he a Pharisee, so there's a sense of priesthood to Nicodemus, but he's also on top of that, a member of a small exclusive, exclusive political boys club that's called a Sanhedrin, which means not only is he considered to be a theological giant, but he also has a whole lot of political clout and power. But what's really unique about Nicodemus is unlike other Pharisees and other members of the Sanhedrin, he doesn't, I don't really find anywhere in the Bible where he treats Jesus with contempt. We see, certainly see other Pharisees and other people of the Sanhedrin do that, like on a regular basis. We never see any passage in Scripture where Nicodemus is trying to trick Jesus or make him look foolish and stupid, where he's trying to publicly ridicule him, which Pharisees did all the time. We never see Jesus do that. And Pharisees also, and the Sanhedrin, they actually got together, and they were plotting to kill Jesus, and we never see Nicodemus do that. What Nicodemus wants to do is he wants to talk to Jesus. In fact, I think he's like, he's dying to talk to Jesus. Like, I really want to talk to this guy. I want to understand it. I think Nicodemus has questions. In fact, I think he's got tons of questions. I think he's got a list of questions. My personal opinion, as I look at Nicodemus in the scripture, to me, he comes across to me as a very, very sincere person. Now, they meet at night. We don't know why they meet at night. Maybe it was hard to get an appointment to meet with Jesus. There was always crowds. Everybody always wanted a slice of Jesus. Perhaps it was Nicodemus that he is so important. But I think it's very, very possible that Nicodemus did not want to be seen with Jesus. And so he's got questions. He wants to talk to him. In fact, he's got a list of questions. And so what he does is he says, can I meet you under the cover of night? And they do. John chapter 3, verse 2. Here's the conversation. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. So really, really kind thing for Nicodemus to say. For no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus, look, I'm just trying my best to understand you here. We see in this passage that he calls him rabbi. That's a very respectful thing to do. We see in this passage that he says, look, I believe that you've, you've come from God. He acknowledges that Jesus is doing miracles and that this is a great and wonderful thing. It's like Nicodemus is trying to just get his mental arms around Jesus. Like, I'm, I just, I'm trying to understand you. I don't get it, but I'm, I'm kind of blown away. I've got all these questions. I want to talk to you. Uh, you know, I've got all my boxes and my theology. I don't know what box to put you in, Jesus. You don't fit into any of my categories. I've got to know some stuff. I need to figure you out. They're just getting started in this conversation. Nicodemus has just got the ball rolling. Rabbi, You've come from God. You're doing nice things. You're doing very powerful things. And Jesus immediately comes and just takes the conversation and flips it. Now, in my imagination, I think that Nicodemus, if he were meeting with someone this important, he would be like, man, I know where I want the conversation to go, and I know all my questions that I have for him. I'm going to meet him at night. There's going to be this hidden conversation, and I know I want to direct it where it needs to go. And Jesus immediately says, yeah, Here's the thing, Nicodemus, I'm just not going to fit into any box that you could possibly have for me, so I'm going to actually change the conversation, and I'm going to start speaking with you about what I know really, really matters here. And he does this. 
So Jesus, you're a good rabbi. I know that you've come from God. I know you're doing incredible things. And it's as though Nicodemus just takes a breath to say, okay, here's my first question. Are you ready? And Jesus immediately interjects, and this is what he says in verse 3. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. <laughs> and Nicodemus, I think, is going, wait a second, what? Uh, I have questions, right? I, I got stuff I got to figure out about you. Uh, I have to be born a what? W what are you saying to me? The kingdom of God? W what just happened to my conversation here? Jesus is doing it again. He's going to the heart of actually what really, really matters. He's speaking with a man. Man, if anybody represented dead religion, it's Nicodemus. I mean, this is a life given to all of these dead regulations and rule enforcement like a master with a whip over a slave. And yet, I just detect the sincerity in Nicodemus. Nicodemus is very familiar, not so much with the kingdom of God. He's very familiar with the kingdom of Israel. He's very familiar with his heritage. He's very familiar with Father Abraham, right? They're all children of Father Abraham, the nation of Israel. But Jesus is not talking to him about the kingdom of Israel. He's talking to him about the kingdom of God. Nick takes the bait. Verse 4. Okay, how can somebody be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Reasonable comment? I don't know. I'm guessing that he knew that Jesus was speaking figuratively about this. So often, I mean, we're going to read a verse in a second, and honestly, I'll be honest with you, I'm like, Jesus, could you please speak a little bit more plainly? He can be so cryptic sometimes. And I get, I'm, but I'm guessing Nicodemus realized he, this wasn't plain speaking. Jesus is talking to a man who thinks that right standing from God and with God comes from your lineage. That's what he thinks. Good standing with God comes from not just your heritage, but then also being a good little boy or a good little girl, right? Behaving yourself, jumping through all of God's hoops. But you see, that's what Jesus has come to dismantle. That's what Jesus has come, that's where he's come to, to change the script. I, I'm, I'm gonna change that for you. Actually, I think Jesus has come to bring a wrecking ball to all of that kind of thinking that this man had given his whole life to, and not just given his life to, but had climbed a ladder and got to the top of the heap to represent all of that. Here's our cryptic Jesus. Verse 5. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Everyone got that? <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Help me out here. What is that supposed to mean? We've got flesh and spirit and wind, and it's blowing here and going there, and you have to be born again, but not naturally and physically. And What are you talking about? Flesh gives birth to flesh. I think Nicodemus knew exactly what that meant. And what it meant was, he's, look, he's talking about lineage here. A Jewish dad gets a Jewish son. 
That's good, right? We're the children of Father Abraham. And there's salvation in that. That's what Nicodemus thinks. A Jewish dad gets a Jewish son. Flesh gives birth to flesh. And Nicodemus is hanging his hat on that. That's important. By the same logic, unfortunately, a Roman dad or an American dad or an Irish dad gives birth to a Roman boy. And sorry, you're fresh out of luck. Right? Because that's not the right lineage. That's not the right heritage. So Nicodemus, I've come here to broaden your understanding of who exactly it is that you think I've come to save and to love and to redeem and to heal and to deliver. You see, you're at the top of the club of a, uh, of a the, sort of an exclusive group of sort of an exclusive nation. And I've actually come to do something brand new. I've come to do something much larger than what you understand. In fact, in a few verses, I'm going to share with you exactly who it is that I've come to save. And it's going to blow your mind, Nicodemus. This is a kind of salvation that is as a result of the fact that your spirit is dead. Your spirit is not alive. And it needs to be reborn. You see, you were born the wrong way. And some of you, as you're listening to me today, you already know that. You are keenly aware of the fact. You feel like, man, I feel like I came out of my mother's womb running in the wrong direction. I just came out of my mother's womb running away from God and running towards just what I selfishly wanted to do with my own life. Some of you are like, yeah, that's a description of me. That's, that's my biography right there. And the fix for that person isn't well, if I could try to be really nice, and maybe if I should stop doing the shawl knots and start doing the shawls, then maybe I'll be okay. I can start behaving myself. Maybe, you know, if I could just curse and swear a little bit less, if I could maybe, you know, come off the cigarettes. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Can you imagine God in heaven? <gasps> they cursed a little less. <laughs> Come into the kingdom of God. I just don't know that it works like that. That's an absurd plan to get to heaven. Listen, Jesus is saying, you were born wrong and your spirit is dead. You're relying on flesh gives birth to flesh, but it's not enough, Nick. You actually need a new birth in your spirit it is an internal work that only the Holy Spirit can do in your life. The Holy Spirit giving new birth to your spirit, and you think you can patch that up with dead religion and to-do lists. Nicodemus, you can't put me in a box, and the activity of the Holy Spirit won't fit into a box either. It will be like wind. It will be like wind. It's going to blow wherever it wants. It's going to come from and go to places that you cannot control or manipulate or categorize or put into your box or systematize. You can't do it. We're talking about the unleashed power of the Holy Spirit that is coming with the kingdom of, of God. To say that this is wrecking Nicodemus' head is an understatement. Verse 9. <laughs> How can this be? Nicodemus asked. That's the polite way of going. <laughs> Everything I've understood and studied and read and preached. 
And Jesus just says it to him. Verse 10, you're Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things. And this is this first strong against the grain that Jesus is accomplishing in a very sincere man who thinks that his system of religion was the solution. But actually, it was inadequate. It was completely inadequate. And God is actually coming to bring new life to men and women and children by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus isn't done with Nick. Nick is in, he's entrenched in his system of religion. But he also thinks that it's just for him and his kind. It's actually worse than that. It's not just for him and his kind. It's just for him and his kind. And then within him and his kind, it's those people who look like him, dress like him, talk like him, and obey the rules like him. Man, that's hard. That's a hard club to get into. So Jesus does something so kind. He gives Nicodemus a glimpse of the Messiah. What a privilege. Now, I'm telling you right now, Everybody in ancient Israel, every man, woman, and child had in their imagination what they thought the Messiah was going to be like. Man, they, 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 they gave time to this. They talked about this. They studied this. And I'm telling you right now, if you had been born in that place in that time, I promise you, you would have, been, you would have done the same thing. You would have grown up in a culture where everyone would have looked to that. In fact, man, they were, they were dying for it. You would have had your own ideas and interpretation and your own hopes of what the Messiah would be. And so what we have is a whole generation of people who genuinely believe in their heart of hearts, this is what they think, that the Messiah is going to be this dude who comes and takes the head off Rome. That's where they're at in their thinking. I think people a century prior to that, they thought the Messiah was going to be something different. But in this generation, it's all about Rome. So, you see, they think the Messiah is going to be seven foot tall, and he's going to outwit and outsmart and outpower and outmuscle and overthrow this horrible, evil empire. And so what they're thinking is, when the Messiah comes, we're going to put him on a horse, we're going to put a sword in his hand, and this Messiah, the only thing that he's going to be missing is going to be a cape and a soundtrack. That's what they want. And as if Nick's head is not spinning enough, now Jesus gives him this glimpse. Let me show you what this Messiah is really going to be like. Verse 14. A little cryptic again. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Okay, what? So what Jesus is doing here, he's going to reference an Old Testament story. So just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, I'm going to talk to you about that phrase in just a second, Son of Man, will be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. So probably for the first time in this conversation, Nick actually feels a little bit of relief because finally he's talking about something that Nicodemus knows about. Moses. Nicodemus knows all about Moses. He's like, man, I've read everything the guy's ever written. Great guy. I've preached one or two sermons on Moses. I actually recently listened to a podcast about Moses, and it was fantastic. I can quote anything you want from Moses. I know this story, Jesus. I'm Israel's teacher. I know this one. We're good. 
And in this story, what's happened in the Old Testament is the Israelites are wandering through the desert, and what they've encountered is their snakes, and they've bitten people uh, from the nation of Israel. And obviously, those people are suffering, and some of them are getting sick, and actually, some of them are dying from being bitten by poisonous snakes. And, and a very peculiar, it's a bit of an odd story. Moses makes a bronze snake in this story. And, this, and the bronze snake is attached to this piece of wood, to this beam. This pole is lifted up in the desert. It's just lifted up like this. And when people look at the bronze image of a snake, if they've been bitten, they're healed. They're no longer sick. And if they're dying, you know, that, that all goes away. So it's an odd story. Jesus references this story. But in there, he puts the phrase, son of man. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of it, but both of them, having, knowing their Old Testament, they understand that that's actually a code. And son of man is code for Messiah. So he's talking about the Messiah. Nicodemus knows this. So, Jesus, what are you trying to tell me about the Messiah? Are you saying to me that one day the Messiah is going to be lifted up on some kind of beam. I don't understand where you're going with this. Are you, are you trying to tell me that one day the Messiah is going to be lifted up on some kind of pole? Because actually, both of them students of the Old Testament, we both know that the Old Testament says that anyone who is hung or attached to a pole or a beam or a tree is actually, and this is horrible stuff, anyone who's attached to that, they are cursed by God. So Nicodemus is like, what are you trying to tell me here? Are you telling me that the Messiah is going to be cursed by God? I'm I've got a guy on a horse with a sword. What are you talking about? The Messiah is going to be cursed by God. What does that mean? And then John, who has written this third chapter, we're in the Gospel of John, he pens the most famous 26 words in all of Scripture. Nicodemus, you see, I need you to begin to grasp the sheer magnitude of what this Messiah is coming to accomplish. And I need to actually smash your small thinking and your small grasp of who you think God is and who he has come to redeem and what God is doing. And so John pens these words of gold. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The next several verses in chapter 3, the word believe, which is right there, it crops up again and again. This word believe, believe, believe. And would you allow me to just stretch and challenge what you think of when you think of how you understand the word to believe something? If I were to say to you, like, oh, like, oh, I believe today is Sunday. We're like, okay. I believe two plus two equals four. 
I think that's too small. When I was a kid, I was a terrible swimmer. We never went swimming. We didn't have any swimming pools. I think the first time I got into a pool, I might have been maybe seven or eight or something like that. First time I went swimming. And uh, when I think I was maybe nine or ten, my family went on the first vacation we'd really ever gone to, like a, like a really nice vacation. And we went to a place called Mallorca, which is an island off the south coast of Spain. And we stayed at a lovely hotel, and there was a swimming pool. Never done anything like that before. And, uh, man, we just had such a good time. And the pool had uh, a shallow section that might have been up to my knee. And I was just a little kid, and it was me and my brother and my sister. And we, we were in there every day, splashing around in the water, having a great time. But there was a section of the pool where there were two places where you could go to these steps, and you could go into the deep end of the pool. And I'll never forget. I will never forget. I wanted to go there. But I'm like, I can't go there. I can't swim. If I go, I'm going to bloop, 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 all the way to the bottom. And that'll be the end of Pastor Alan. <laughs> but I wanted to. So I believed that people can swim. Two plus two equals four. Right? I believed that my body could float because I had seen other bodies float, <laughs> right? I believe today is Sunday. But there came a moment, and I remember, where I went down the steps, and the water came up, came up to here, and I'm like, I'm breathing like, oh, dear Lord, I'm going to die. And I'm like, I've got to do it. And I remember pushing off the steps. My heart was racing. And I started, probably doggy paddle or something, <laughs> and I started to swim. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about believing. See, Jesus is, is inviting you into a kind of belief that will conceive new life because it is the kind of belief that causes you to act on what you trust to be true. That's the difference. Two plus two equals four is easy. Jumping into the deep end of the pool when you can't swim, man, you're acting on what you trust to be true. And over these next few verses, you're going to see this word believe, believe, believe again and again. That's what it's talking about. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Go ahead and jump into the deep end of the pool. Go ahead and act on what you believe and trust to be actual truth for your life. Jesus is doing something radically new in John chapter 3. What is he doing? Don't miss it. I want to synopsize this into four tiny little simple statements, and it is quite simply this. Here's God's side of the equation. God loves, and God gave. This is what he's telling Nicodemus. And then the other side of the equation is you believe, and you receive. You I mean, it's a very, very simple formula, and Nicodemus' mind is blown. God loves. Who does God love? John chapter 3, verse 16. He actually loves the whole world, Nicodemus. Every broken, sinful person you've ever met, Nicodemus. And what did he give? He gave his only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ enters into the mess not to condemn you. He is the king who gives up his life for those of us who are in the kingdom. 
And then what do we do in response to this love, in response to this giving? Well, we act on what we trust and believe. We push out into the deep for the first time in our lives, believing and trusting that he's got you. And then we receive new life, and we are born again in our spirit that was dead and is now alive because the wind of the Holy Spirit is moving. We know that the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin were delighted when Jesus was crucified. They were delighted. I picture Nicodemus standing in the back of the crowd. I, I, I think he was there. I do. I'll tell you why in a second, but I think he was there. I think he was standing in the back of the crowd looking at a dismal spectacle of three people being tortured to death. Looking at this man that he had this nighttime conversation that was so gracious to him as he is being beaten and stripped naked and mocked. Oh, man. As he's placed down on the ground onto a piece of wood where his hands and his feet are nailed. And there comes this moment, I think he was standing in the back, there comes this moment where he's pinned to this piece of wood and it is lifted up and placed into the ground. And I think Jesus looked at that and I think he remembered this nighttime conversation. Is that it? Is that what he was talking about? The curse of God on a man pinned to a tree. Is that it? The sins of the world on the shoulders of Jesus. The judgment of God. The curse of sin coming onto the Son of Man. And in my imagination, I think Nicodemus looked at that. I think he remembered his secret nighttime conversation. And I think he wept. I like Nicodemus. I think this conversation was life-changing for him. John chapter 19. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied. Look at it. He was accompanied by who? He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs at the place where Jesus was crucified. There was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. A man named Joseph gave up his tomb. And another man who was powerful and privileged, who was an elite politician, who was a religious man of honor, he rolled up his sleeves and he put to one side all of his dead religion and his rules and his regulations because he touched a dead body which made him unceremonially clean, unclean. And he lovingly laid the Messiah to rest. Nicodemus, I want you to know something. God loves you. And he's lying right in front of you. 
You are seeing in this moment the full cost of my love. And now I invite you into the kind of belief, the kind of trust that you have to act on. And you will receive grace and forgiveness and you will be born again with new life. And that invitation stands in front of every one of you today. He loves and he gave so that you could believe, so that you could receive. Who here needs an encounter with the person who was lifted up on a cursed tree for you? Because you've tried and you've tried and you've been beaten down and you've made every effort with religion or to patch yourself up and yet you are filled with regret and shame and you know, but you know, but you know that you were born wrong and Jesus comes to you this very day and once again he says, I will be subversive. I will change the script for you. I will write a new story for you. I will do something new. Come and follow me all the days of your life into eternity and today will be your birthday because today you can be born again and your spirit will be made alive by the power of God. Would you pray with me? Today, Jesus, I say yes to your love. Thank you for giving life for me. I believe in you, God. I believe in you with the kind of trust that I'm going to act on. Even now in this holy moment, I present to you the worst of me my regrets and my sin and my mistakes and my guilt and I ask you Holy Spirit would you blow with this wind of power and would you make me new would you make me alive would you make me born again with my lips I declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Lord of my life and I gratefully receive your love and your grace and your forgiveness and your new life I pray this in the name of Jesus Amen Church can we give God honor and glory and praise thank you God Let's stand up together and let's worship Jesus Christ.